Chapter Three of The Middle of Things. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Middle of Things by J. S. Fletcher. Chapter Three. Who was Mr. Ashton? For the first time since they had entered the room, Drillford turned and glanced at Viner. His look indicated the idea which Miss Wickham's last words had set up in his mind. Here was a mystery. The police instinct was aroused by it. "'You don't know very much about Mr. Ashton,' he said, turning back to the ladies. "'Yet you're under his roof. This is his house, isn't it?' "'Just so.' assented Miss Wickham. But when I say we don't know much, I mean what I say. Mrs. Killenhall has only known Mr. Ashton a few weeks, and until two months ago I had not seen Mr. Ashton for twelve years. Therefore neither of us can know much about him. "'Would you mind telling me what you do know?' asked Drillford. "'We've got to know something, who he is, and so on.' "'All that I know is this.' replied Miss Wickham. My father died in Australia when I was about six years old. My mother was already dead, and my father left Mr. Ashton in charge of me. He sent me, very soon after my father's death, to school in England, and there I remained for twelve years. About two months ago Mr. Ashton came to England, took this house, fetched me from school, and got Mrs. Killenhall to look after me. Here we've all been ever since, and beyond that I know scarcely anything. Drillford looked at the elder lady. "'I know practically no more than Miss Wickham has told you,' said Mrs. Killenhall. "'Mr. Ashton and I got in touch with each other through his advertisement in the Morning Post. We exchanged references, and I came here.' "'Ah,' said Drillford, "'and what might his reference be now?' "'To his bankers, the London and Orient in Threadneedle Street,' answered Mrs. Killenhall promptly, "'and to his solicitors, Crawl, Paul, and Rattenbury of Bedford Bow.' "'Very satisfactory they were, no doubt, ma'am,' suggested Drillford. Mrs. Killenhall let her eye run round the appointments of the room. "'Eminently so,' she said dryly. "'Mr. Ashton was a very wealthy man.' Drillford pulled out a pocket-book and entered the names which Mrs. Killenhall had just mentioned. "'The solicitors will be able to tell something,' he murmured as he put the book back. "'We'll communicate with them first thing in the morning, but just two questions before I go. Can you tell me anything about Mr. Ashton's usual habits? Had he any business? What did he do with his time?' "'He was out a great deal,' said Mrs. Killenhall. He used to go down to the city. He was often out of an evening. Once, since I came here, he was away for a week in the country. He didn't say where. He was an active man, always in and out, but he never said much as to where he went. "'The other question,' said Drillford, "'is this. Did he carry much on him in the way of valuables or money? I mean, as a rule.' "'He wore a very fine gold watch and chain.' answered Mrs. Killenhall. And as for money, well, he always seemed to have a lot in his purse, and he wore two diamond rings, very fine stones. "'Just so,' 
murmured Rilford. Set upon for the sake of those things, no doubt. Hmm. Well, ladies, I shall telephone to Crawls first thing in the morning, and they'll send somebody along at once, of course. I'm sorry to have brought you such bad news, but— He turned toward the door. Miss Wickham stopped him. "'Will Mr. Ashton's body be brought here tonight?' she asked. "'No,' replied Rilford. "'It will be taken to the mortuary. "'If you leave everything to me, I'll see that you are spared as much as possible. "'Of course there'll have to be an inquest, but you'll hear all about that tomorrow. "'Leave things to us and to Mr. Ashton's solicitors.' He moved towards the door, and Viner, until then a silent spectator, looked at Miss Wickham, something impelling him to address her, instead of Mrs. Killenhall. "'I live close by you,' he said. "'If there is anything that I can do, or that my aunt, Miss Penkridge, who lives with me, can do, perhaps you will let me call in the morning.' The girl looked at him steadily and frankly. "'Thank you, Mr. Viner,' she said. "'It would be very kind if you would.' We've no menfolk. Yes, please do. After breakfast, then, answered Viner, and went away to join the inspector, who had walked into the hall. What do you think of this matter? he asked, when they had got outside the house. Oh, a very clear and ordinary case enough, Mr. Viner, replied Rilford. No mystery about it at all. Here's this Mr. Ashton been living here some weeks, some fellow— the man, of course, whom you saw running away, has noticed that he was a very rich man and wore expensive jewellery, has watched him, probably knew that he used the passage as a shortcut, and has laid in wait for him and murdered him for what he'd got on him. It wouldn't take two minutes to do the whole thing. Rings, now. They spoke of diamond rings in there. Well, I didn't see any diamond rings on his hands when I looked at his body, and I particularly noticed his hands to see if there were signs of any struggle. No, sir, it's just a plain case of what used to be called highway robbery and murder. But come round with me to the police station, Mr. Viner. They'll have taken him to the mortuary by now, and I should like to hear what our divisional surgeon has to say, and what our people actually found on the body. As Viner and the inspector walked into the police station, Dr. Cortillon came out. Drillford stopped him. Found out anything, doctor? he asked. "'Nothing beyond what I said at first, replied Cortillon. "'The man has been stabbed to the heart, from behind, in one particularly well-delivered blow. "'I should say the murderer had waited for him in that passage, probably knowing his habits. "'That passage, now, you know it really will have to be seen to. "'That wretched old lamp in the middle gives no light at all. "'The wonder is that something of the sort hasn't occurred before.' Drillford muttered something about local authorities and property owners, and went forward into an office, motioning Viner to follow. The divisional surgeon was there in conversation with the sergeant whom Drillford had left in charge of the body. "'That is something on which I'd stake my professional reputation,' he said. "'I'm sure of it.' "'What's that, doctor?' asked Drillford. "'Something to do with this affair?' I was saying that whoever stabbed this unfortunate man had some knowledge of anatomy, remarked the doctor. He was killed by one swift blow from a particularly keen-edged, thin-bladed weapon which was driven through his back at the exact spot. You ought to make a minute search behind the walls on either side of that passage. The probability is that the murderer threw his weapon away. We'll do all that, doctor, said Drillford. 
as to your suggestion don't you forget that there are a good many criminals here in london who are regular experts in the use of the knife i've seen plenty of instances of that myself now he went on turning to the sergeant about that search what did you find on him the sergeant lifted the lid of a desk and pointed to a sheet of full-scap paper whereon lay certain small articles at which viner gazed with a sense of strange fascination a penknife, a small gold match-box, a gold-mounted pencil-case, some silver coins, a handkerchief, and, conspicuous among the rest, a farthing. "'That's the lot,' said the sergeant, "'except another handkerchief and a pair of gloves in the overcoat where I've left them. Nothing else, no watch, chain, purse, or pocket-book, and no rings, but it's very plain from his fingers that he wore two rings, one on each hand,' third finger in each case there you are said drillford with a glance at viner murdered and robbed clear case now mr viner give us as accurate a description as possible of the fellow who ran out of that passage viner did his best his recollections were of a young man of about his own age about his own height and build somewhat above the medium it was his impression he said that the man was dressed if not shabbily at least poorly he had an impression too that the clean-shaven face which he had seen for a brief moment was thin and worn got any recollection of his exact look inquired the inspector that's a lot to go by i'm trying to think said viner yes i should say he looked to be pretty hard up there was a sort of desperate gleam in his eye and "'Take your time,' remarked Drillford. "'Anything you can suggest, you know.' "'Well,' replied Viner, "'I had an idea at the moment, and I've had it since, that I'd seen this man before. Something in his face was familiar. The only thing I can think of is this. I potter around old bookshops and curiosity shops a good deal. I may have seen this young fellow on some occasion of that sort.' anyway suggested drillford glancing over the particulars which he had written down you'd know him again if you saw him oh certainly asserted viner i should know him anywhere then that's all we need trouble you with now sir said drillford the next business will be to-morrow viner walked slowly out of the police station and still more slowly homeward when he reached the first lamp he drew out his watch half past twelve just two hours ago he had been in his own comfortable library, smiling at Miss Pankridge's ideas about the very matters into one of which he was now plunged. He would not have been surprised if he had suddenly awoke to find that all this was a bad dream induced by the evening's conversation. But just then he came to the passage in which the murder had been committed. A policeman was on guard at the terrace end, and Viner, rather than hear any more of the matter, hastened past him and made a circuitous way to Markendale Square. He let himself into his house as quietly as possible, and contrary to taste and custom, went into the dining-room, switched on the electric light, and helped himself to a stiff glass of brandy and soda at the sideboard. When the mixture was duly prepared, he forgot to drink it. He stood by the sideboard, the glass in his hand, his eyes staring at vacancy. Nor did he move when a very light foot stole down the stairs, and Miss Pankridge, in wraps and curl-papers, looked round the side of the door. "'Heavens above, Richard!' she exclaimed. "'What is the matter?' 
"'I wondered if you were burglars. Half-past twelve. Viner suddenly became aware of the glass which he was unconsciously holding. He lifted it to his lips, wondering whatever it was that made his mouth feel so dry. And when he had taken a big gulp and then spoke, his voice to himself sounded just as queer as his tongue had been feeling. "'You were right,' he said suddenly. "'There are queerer, stranger affairs in life than one fancies. And I—I've been pitchforked, thrown clean into the middle of things. I—' Miss Pankridge came closer to him, staring. She looked from him to the glass, from the glass to him. "'No, I haven't been drinking,' said Viner with a harsh laugh. "'I'm drinking now, and I'm going to have another, too. Listen.' He pushed her gently into a chair, and sitting himself on the edge of the table, told her the adventure. And Miss Pankridge, who was an admirable listener to fictitious tales of horror, proved herself no less admirable in listening to one of plain fact, and made no comment until her nephew had finished. "'That poor man,' she said at last, "'such a fine, strong-looking man, too. I used to wonder about him when I saw him in the square. I used to think of him as somebody who'd seen things.' Viner made a sudden grimace. "'Don't!' He said, "Ugh, I've seen things tonight that I never wish to see, and I wish—" "What?" demanded Miss Pinkridge after a pause, during which Viner had sat staring at the floor. "I wish to God I'd never seen that poor devil who was running away!" exclaimed Viner with sudden passion. "They'll catch him, and I shall have to give evidence against him, and my evidence will hang him, and—" "There's a lot to do, and a lot'll happen before that comes off, Richard." interrupted Miss Pankridge. The man may be innocent. He'd have a nice job to prove it, said Viner with a forced laugh. <laughs> no, if the police get him besides, he was running straight from the place. Isn't it a queer thing? He went on, laughing again. I don't mind remembering the, the dead man, but I hate the recollection of that chap hurrying away. I wonder what it feels like when you've just murdered another fellow to slink off like— "'You've no business to be wondering any such thing,' said Miss Pankridge sharply. "'Here, get yourself another brandy and soda, and let us talk business. "'These two women, did they feel it much?' "'They puzzled me,' replied Viner. "'He took his aunt's advice about the extra glass and obeyed her, too, "'when she silently pointed to a box of cigars which lay on the sideboard. "'All right,' he said, after a minute or two. "'I'm not going to have nerves. What was I saying? "'They puzzled me. Yes, puzzled.' "'Especially the girl. She seemed so collected about everything. "'And yet, according to her own story, she's only just out of the schoolroom. "'You'll go around there with me?' "'If we can't be of any service to them, certainly,' assented Miss Pankridge. "'The girl said they'd no menfolk,' remarked Viner. "'In that case I shall certainly go,' said Miss Pankridge. "'Now, Richard, smoke your cigar and think no more about all this till tomorrow.' Viner flung himself into an easy chair. "'All right,' he said. "'Don't bother. It's been a bit of a facer, but—' He was astonished when he woke the next morning, much later than was his wont, to find that he had not dreamed about the events of the midnight. And he was his usual practical and cool-headed self when, at eleven o'clock, he stood waiting in the hall for Miss Pankridge to go round with him to number seven. But the visit was not to be paid just then, as they were about to leave the house— a police officer came hurrying up and accosted Viner. Inspector Drillford's compliments, and would Mr. Viner come round? 
and then the messenger gave a knowing grin. "'We've got the man, sir,' he whispered. "'That's why you're wanted.'" End of chapter 3 Who was Mr. Ashton?